Today's episode of No-Till Flowers is brought to you by Farmer's Friend. It's no secret that almost everything grows better in a tunnel. Bring the benefits of greenhouse production to your veggie or flower farm in an affordable and easy-to-assemble package from Farmer's Friend Caterpillar Tunnel Kits. They're quick to build and move, come in a variety of styles and sizes, and include everything you need to make installation a breeze. Can attest to this, I own two of these tunnels myself, and they are super easy to put up and take down as needed. Plus, if you order two or more tunnels of any size, you'll get free shipping on your entire order. Also, be sure to check out Farmer's Friend's growing selection of small farm tools and supplies like the pyro weeder, silage tarps, landscape fabric, row covers, shade cloth, irrigation kits, and more. If you are ready to increase efficiency on your farm and earn higher profits with less work, visit FarmersFriend.com today. Today's show is also brought to you by Growing for Market Magazine. Want to know the top 10 most profitable flowers to grow on a limited acreage? How to manage a greenhouse for cut flowers? Or how to structure a profitable farm business? Learn all of that and more by subscribing to Growing for Market Magazine. Founded by the flower farmer author Lynn Bozinski, Growing for Market is celebrating 30 years of helping local food and flower growers succeed with articles written by industry leaders like Elliot Coleman, Aaron Benzikane, and Jean-Martin Fortier, by farmers for farmers. Plus, subscriptions start at only $30 per year. Whether you do farmer's markets, local wholesaling, a CSA, or dream of starting a farm, check them out today at growingformarket.com. Request a free sample print or digital copy from the website, And podcast listeners can get a new subscriber discount of 25% off when using the code SOIL when subscribing at growingformarket.com. Again, that code is SOIL. And I want to throw in just a personal off-script plug here to say how much I value my own subscription to Growing for Market. Editor Andrew and his team put together a fantastic collection of articles for each issue. There's always flower-related content, but to be honest, I find the stories about employee management and small farm equipment and so many other topics just as valuable. So that's a big two thumbs up for me here, personally. All right, today I have the pleasure of talking to Mima Davis from Urban Buds City Grown Flowers in St. Louis. It's a one-acre urban flower farm right in the heart of St. Louis, which Mima farms with her partner, Miranda Dushak, and a great team that has really helped grow this farm up from abandoned lots, essentially. Back in 2012, they started with one abandoned lot, which was actually, drumroll, an original farmer florist operation that dates all the way back to 1870s. So that's pretty magical to hear about the fact that Mima and her crew could rehab this space into what it is today. So it's a really great conversation that I'm excited to share with you guys. We're gonna talk about everything from reclaiming old city lots and rebuilding the soil in them to weed management, particularly we'd give a little bit nerdy about bindweed and this like new mite that Mina told me about, which I'm super excited about. And we also talk about sales channels, both pre-COVID and 2020, and how that's really going to impact the way Urban Bud sells flowers moving forward. And we even get a little bit into employees and how the relationships with employees can actually influence the farming model that you might choose. So it is chocked full of such good information. I'm really excited to have Mima's Wisdom here on the podcast. And so let's dive right in. Thank you. 
right. Welcome, Mima Davis from Urban Buds. I'm so excited to talk to you today and about your farm in St. Louis, your urban flower farm, and all that you've got going on there. So welcome to the podcast. Yeah. Hey, thanks for having me. Really excited to have this conversation. Yeah, me too, because you have been doing this for a long time. You've got so much perspective on the floral industry, the flower farming industry, um, and your model is so unique and diverse there. Uh, and I know personally for me, you've been a mentor and a friend for many years, and I think it's great to kind of get your take on on everything here on the podcast, sort of on record. So, yeah, <laughs> so thanks great. for doing I'm, it. I'm really excited that, that uh, a flower no-till podcast is, is actually happening. I think it's like so important. You know, I mean, just today I was talking to Morgan and we were like, yeah, we listen to the no-till podcast, but you know, who cares about their tomatoes? So, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you know, I mean, so this is, this is really great. I'm really excited. That this is so oh, fun. good. I'm excited too. I think it's, I think it's a, a niche topic that really can help a lot of people bridge the gap between tilling over to no-till and more conventional farming into more regenerative farming. And there's no, like, there's no judgment here on this podcast about anybody who's tilling. Um, everybody's got their own farm and every farm is really unique. So my job is to just to explore um, different people's models and kind of get that out there for other people to learn from. So I think you've got a really unique model, but first let's talk about exactly where you located and sort of how much space you're growing on and generally kind of what your climate is like there for the people that don't know anything about your farm yet. Give them the, the elevator speech. Yeah. Okay. So uh, we're urban by city grown flowers. We are in the heart of St. Louis city. We are in the middle of a residential neighborhood. I mean, we have neighbors, real live neighbors. And um, <laughs> and we're about, uh, you know anything about St. Louis? We're about seven miles from the arch, which is like the big structure here that everybody kind of knows, the arch, the St. Louis arch. Um, we're about seven miles from the arch, two miles from the botanical gardens. The farm, that we farm actually dates back to 1870s, the late 1870s, and was always a flower farm. Wow. Um, and when we got in the city, it was an 80 acre flower farm. And the city literally grew up around it. And um, it was, they were farmer floors. They were called Held's Floors. And on the side of the truck, it said, go to Held's Floors. <laughs> That was <laughs> <laughs> um, wild. And, um, and we've seen pictures where there was like alligators lived on the farm and they had horses and all kinds of crazy, crazy stuff. And they had um, all kinds of glass structures. Um, and anyway, the city literally um, grew up around it. And my partner Miranda and I um wanted to farm and uh i already had a farm but it was two hours outside of st louis and um i didn't really want to go back to that doing that again driving two hours one way before i even sold a flower you know yeah, yeah. i really didn't want to do that that wasn't sustainable for my life um and i wanted more diversity in the city you have a four-year-old you know and so it just all, we didn't have a four-year-old then, but, you know, all these plans, we wanted it 
they were very urban focused. Okay. Right. So, um, yeah, Miranda called me one day and said, Hey, Nima, there's this, somehow there's this glass greenhouse that these people have in the city. I don't know what it is. Do you want to go look at it? It sounds like a wreck. Um, so sure enough, we looked at this property and it was, uh, glass crunching under our feet. I mean, there wasn't a pain in there. Oh, it was wow. abandoned um, for nine years. Um, and you couldn't even see it from the street. You still can't see it from the street, but um, no one really knew it was there, but the kids who knew it was there, you know? So it was kind of a hangout place. Yeah. So immediately, you know, Marina was like, oh, I don't think we can do this. This is crazy. And I was like, okay, where do we sign? I, you know, I saw what it could be. And um, so that was in, in uh, 2012. Um, and we have bought, I mean, I used to joke around that I wanted to reclaim the farm back to the 80 acres. Oh, wow. And um, well, I mean, so that was like, three lots that we had then okay in 2012 okay and today we're up to nine lots oh you've gotten that big oh that's so much bigger than the last time i was there to visit wow right Contig- contiguous lots wow yeah i mean you know you I, I swear it's like you put stuff when you say your words when you put your words into the universe, man, I mean, it's just powerful, right? I mean, it really is. It really is. Things just started to happen. You know, it's like, oh, a house burnt down, two doors down. It's like, oh, okay, they're going to tear out that that house. And when the city's done, they're, we're going to buy that lot. And boom, it happened. You know, I mean, it just. Wow. So, yeah, we're at the, up to nine lots we own. Um, there's 14 lots. Um, on the city block, it's kind of like Monopoly. <laughs> <laughs> you know, yeah. you know, four houses, you get a hotel. We're kind of right. a hotel, you know. <laughs> and, and, and and we are on Tennessee Avenue is the name. Oh wow, you <laughs> are. <laughs> um, so and the farm is so those lots, those eight lots are just over an acre that we're we're actually growing on. Okay. Um. And we are, uh, we, I'm really um, very, very much drawn to season extension and even more so drawn to winter production, the difference between winter um, production and season extension. I'm, you know, grappling with that now. What does that mean? What date do we leave season extension and enter into winter production? Yeah. You know? Um and I'm you really- have a heated glass greenhouse, right? So that means that you can do a lot more than maybe your average farmer, flower farmer can do. Correct. So we have um we have the heat we have two heated we have so since 2012 and um, we had we we rehabbed the glass greenhouse, which is a 30 by 60 structure, glass structure, and we put in um, another heated structure, yeah. Another heated um, um, hoop house, you know, greenhouse, uh, mm-hmm. and that's heated. And then we have 
another um, unheated tunnel, and then we have about four caterpillar tunnels that we do. So that's a lot of space that's undercover, and you're also in a fairly warm, warmer climate there in St. Louis. So I guess yeah, you can get that's right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. And do you find that your biggest hang-up is daylight length in terms of growing through the winter, or or is it, you it's, know, it's still really early for us. I mean, we're just, you know, um, this winter. I mean, we've done a lot of season extension. Okay. Um, and and it's just propelled me to i love winter growing um hmm. it's you're probably awesome. the only person i know who says that with confidence <laughs> i love winter production um it's quiet it's um less bug pressure ah when the flowers come in any and everybody is hungry for them you get the top dollar um and there's no competition except for Ecuador or whoever. You right. Know? Yeah. The imports. Yeah. The imports. Okay. Um, so for me, there's a lot of reasons why to do that. Okay. Okay. I, I, I'm really trying to move away. I mean, we're not really talking about no till yet, um, but that's okay. Uh, no, talk about any flowers, any and all flowers. <laughs> I'm, I'm really trying to move away from being in production in July. Yeah. Well, you guys have such a hot, humid summertime there, don't you? Oh, it's brutal. Yeah. It's brutal. And, you know, it's hard on the staff. The plants are always stressed out. And, um, I mean, you know, the great product in July, but but still, it, you know, the Italians yeah. are stressed out. Everything's stressed out. Yeah, it's a fight. It's a fight in July to get anything it's to flower. It's a fight in July. Yeah. And and competition now has gotten rampant around here. Oh, uh, has it? Okay. That is happening a lot in a lot of the marketplaces I've been talking to flower farmers. Right. I mean, I just, you know, I this pasture, like, we just bowed out. Yeah. We, you know, hey, you want flowers? You order them from our online store and we continue to do our farmer's market. We didn't go to florists. We just, like, you know, hey, you guys take the floors, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So did you find that was really hard to get back into your florist then? If you pause, if you push pause, is it hard to regain that relationship? No, no, not at all. Because, you know, as soon as our dahlias came in, <laughs> you were good to go. We're good to go, right? I mean, thank God for dahlias. They are truly <laughs> florist crack. So basically you can't ever have enough. <laughs> right. I mean, we, we waited, we waited you know, a couple of weeks before we posted a Dahlia picture on Instagram. <laughs> I hear you on that. <laughs> you know, I mean, so, you know, you have Dahlias and then, you know, and, and we're kind of known for our ranunculus around here a little bit. And okay. so we have these major crops. Okay. Our major crops, Lysianthus, Dahlias, ranunculus, you know, um, Stock is, is kind of in there, but it's not so, you know, not yeah. really. But. So which one of those have you found to be the most useful for winter or season um, extension growing? Are there certain ones that seem to be coming to the forefront now that you've been doing it for several years? Um, and one more greens. I just wanted to add. Oh, greens. yeah. Okay. They're huge. Greens are huge, huge, huge. Um, uh, the question was, do I, are any of those coming to the forefront? Yeah. Um, yeah. Ranunculus is always, you know, number one in terms of winter production. Um, 
we just we just have our first blooming ranunculus in in the greenhouse right now. Oh wow! Already? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Just one. Just you know, just one. You know how that one shoots up. Um, and and so you know that means that the rest are soon to be behind. So, um, and and we do anemones too. They'll come on early. Um, but I'm really trying to um expand that. I mean. I'm trying to, this is my first year um, doing tulips. Oh, okay. So I, I don't want to talk a lot about it because I haven't been successful at it yet. But you got to get in there. You got to try these things. So I'm doing tulips. We're doing, um, of course, the butterfly ranunculus, snapdragons, um, the greens I'm so excited about. Um, because that's, you know, pe- people really underestimate the greens. Yeah. Uh, Absolutely. And, you know, my florists, wow. I mean, they go crazy and we get top dollar for our, as much as we do for the flower, for some of the flowers we get for our green, our stock is the same price as our scented geranium. Wow. So yeah. What do you mean by greens then? Scented geranium, anything else like Bells of Ireland? Are you counting those or? Yeah. yeah, Bells of Ireland, scented geranium, um, um, Lemon verbena. Ooh. Um, and that is amazing. And are you uh, growing that inside? Is that in the house or the tunnels? Or that, is that? Yeah, that well, that's in the tunnel, but it's not heated. I mean, you could put it right. in the yeah, yeah. tunnel too. Yeah. Um, um, the basils. Um, let's see. I mean, I just, the mountain mint. Um, I, I'm just really, the greens, the, uh, I can't, say one of them and I'm I'm gonna embarrass myself. Help me. It's okay. Go for it. The silver leaf. Oh the plectranthus. Is that there you go. There you go. Yeah plectranthus. Yeah. That's all the rage now. That's such a trendy new foliage. I've grown it for two seasons, but I'm actually kicking it to the curb next year. Only because only because I don't think um I have the right climate for it here. I think it wants even a little hotter than we have. So Uh I think obviously it does great for you. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Uh, yeah. Um, you know, um, yeah, Dusty Mill, all those, all of the foliages that, uh, you know, and, and I really started to get into foliages because, you know, everybody was going into the forest with zinnias and whatever. Yeah. And I was like, okay, you know, what can I do? Right. You know? And, um, and no one really thinks about green. And, no, and I, I think you're right. Yeah. Well, I just think they're, Oh, and the ferns too. We're doing ferns, um, the asparagus ferns. We have them hanging. We keep them hanging in the in the greenhouse in the winter. Bring them out in the summer, and they're just beautiful and lush. Oh wow! Um, um what else do we have? Oh, what is that? Hopley's, Hopley's. Basil? Oh, the oregano, the hopley's. Oregano, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I just got some of those. I'm really excited about them. I planted them this year. I hope they get big and bushy. <laughs> We we put them in hanging baskets. Oh, really? And so we could move them in and out and, and easily cut on them. And um, yeah, 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 yeah. Because they're kind of they kind of hang, you know. And um, and and uh, and let's see what else. I'm just into the greens right now. Really yeah, yeah. Big. I don't. You know, I could. This could be a whole conversation about greens, so I'll move <laughs> on. But um, 
<laughs> well, it's a good it's a good example of how as the market tightens up with more and more farmer florists in the mix, it's good to find your niche instead of just trying to grow everything that everybody grows. Find your find your season that works best for you. Find the crops that work best for you, and don't try to just follow, you know, sort of the train of everybody else. So I think you're doing that superbly down there. Yeah, you really have to, you know. That's so important to find your your groove in this, you know. I mean, gosh, if you just go copy what the other person is doing, you, you're never gonna really make that work. You, you right. got to find something that you, you know you can own, take ownership of, right? You know, and yeah. be the best you could be at that one thing, and then people get to know you for that. And you know, you know, I mean, really, February when we hit our floors with Renunca's man, they are thirsty. And we're able to keep them, same with farmer's markets, you know. Um, okay, let me back up a little bit. So yeah, tell our, me more about your sales outlets. In our general. sales outlet, that's exactly, our sales outlet, okay, we do floor, uh, historically, not currently, yeah. <laughs> um, is um, florist, okay. We, we sell direct to floors. We sell at farmer's market. We do small weddings and events in parentheses, okay? <laughs> um, <laughs> um, and, and I said farmer's market, yeah, but, and that, that's it. But we have like three, three uh, outlets, farmer's market, the floors, and, and weddings and events. And about how many florists are you generally hitting up? You know, now we just we're down. We whittled it down to about four, three. Oh, you know? really? And they take it off. Wow! And they, they take, they take, they don't take it all because farmers market is huge for us. Okay. So, um, but they take about fifty percent. Oh wow! It's divided in half, really. Do they are they really pushing your product then as locally grown? Are they florists who have kind of bought into you know, almost the same model as Ellen Frost has at local color? Is it like that where they're trying to push local or they just work it into their their regular stuff, so to speak? Um, I think that one of them opened up as as, you know, like, hey, we're farmer florists. We're you know, she's got more of a bend and um and the others are like picking up the, you know, one of them is taking uh, Ellen Frost's course this week, you know, and she was oh, like good. just a regular round the mill florist, and 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 um, and I started going in there and talking to her, and and you know she's now buying from other growers, and you know it's you know she's come to see some you know reasons why buy local, and she's really um. In transition, let me That's say. fantastic. Yeah, 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 yeah. And um, yeah, local, you know, the buy local is really um, hot here. Okay. So, yeah, it's good. So then with um, 2020 being the year that it was for everyone, you had to pivot your sales a lot, though. So did you start a couple more sales channels or just push in different directions there? Yeah, listen, I tell you what. Uh, you know, I don't know. I, I have kind of this ADD that I couldn't ever put. I couldn't ever do just one thing in this business, right? So we have what we call the three-legged stool of sustainability here. 
Oh, yeah. So we have one leg that is the florist, one leg that's the farmer's market, and one leg that's kind of our weddings and events. That's kind of a shorter leg. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> um, but because we had the farmer's market, we had a strong community built base already. Yeah. And um, so the farmer, in the beginning of the pandemic, the farmer's market closed. Um, everybody just kind of freaked out, you know, and, and everybody went inside. That was it. And, and uh, we started this Petals Off Our Porch um, program. And because um, people still had to go out to the little grocery store, they come back, you know, contactless pickup, boom. And people, you know, our farmer's market people jumped on that. I mean, look, they're, they're freaked out. Yeah. They couldn't go out to eat. They couldn't go to the movies. They're freaked out and they wanted something beautiful to look at. Yeah. Because something beautiful to look at, what is that? That's all about hope. It's about, you know, smelling good, which makes everybody feel better. I mean, it's just healing. It was just comfort. We got so many cards. Oh. So many cards. And we had... Um, one guy bought us a $150 gift certificate to this really fancy pizza place. And they were like, all these cards are like, you got us through the pandemic. Oh. You, you, you guys at Urban Buds rocked it. You got us through this time that was really difficult. I mean, yeah. people have really had a hard time. So, so that was really big for us because our floors just shut down. So there was a sales channel gone. And you also didn't have weddings either, I'm guessing. So like you're... No way. No, no weddings, no floors. And remember, we do the season extension, right? Yeah. So in March. You had a lot. <laughs> in March, our greenhouses are swelling like pregnant. Okay. Wow. Yeah. Like ready, ready to deliver. <laughs> um, so we immediately had to pivot. I mean, there was like no... There was like, there was like no conversation. There was no thought that, oh, well, we just have to like shut down, shut down and compost this stuff. I mean, I live off of this and I have three other staff people that this is our income. There's, there's no other jobs. There's no secret bank account. The only way that we got to do this is to sell the flowers that we grow, right? So, so um, you know, and we had, I'll never forget it. We had, we, I, um, we had, I came back from the deliveries. I didn't sell a flower on the truck. Um, and, and the staff were, you know, I mean, the, the floors were just looked like deer in the headlights, literally. And um, it was painful. And, um, and I came back into the to the to the shop, and I looked at the the two employees there, and I was like, "Look, we got to do something." And everybody pulled out their computer. We got an online store going, and boom! Wow! Time to take a quick break and get a word from one of our great sponsors that makes this podcast possible. Flowers are reaching a diverse and appreciative customer base today through farmers markets, CSAs, grocery stores, weddings, contactless delivery, and you pick. This diversity is supported by the strong community of members in the Association of Specialty Cut Flower Growers. 
Since 1988, the association, better known as the ASCFG, has been uniting and educating specialty cut flower growers across the globe, supplying them with accurate and up-to-date information about best practices for both the production and marketing of cut flowers. The ASCFG publishes the only trade magazine in North America dedicated entirely to specialty cut flowers. It also produces a host of classes and conferences on topics ranging from floral design to irrigation. The connections made with growers through an ASCFG membership are priceless. My own flower business would not be where it is today without the generous mentorship of fellow ASCFG members. Visit ASCFG.org to learn more about all the great benefits of becoming a member. Mention no-till flowers when joining and receive a $50 discount on a new membership. All right, let's get back to this great conversation and dig even deeper. So you didn't have an online shop before COVID? No. Okay. No, we did not have any online sales before COVID. Wow. So with now that you've gone through 2020, we're, we're recording this for the record at the end of 2020. And, and do you feel like your business is forever changed? Say we go into 2021 and there's a magic cure. I mean, it's not happening, but eventually, you know, 2021, there's not COVID to worry about. Would you go back to the old model or do you like some of the things that have changed and you're going to stick with? Yeah, I love some of the things. I think our, I think our pedals off the porch is here to stay. Okay. That's Uh, awesome. It just gives people, you know, a more, um, it gives us and our customers, um, a wider opportunity to buy flowers from us. Um, you know, not everybody likes the farmer's market. It's crowded. It, it's on Saturday. Maybe they have to work on Saturday and they can pick up flowers on Friday. You know, I mean, so there's a lot of reasons. The, um, the um, online store is here to stay with our um, porch pickups. That's, that's not going yeah. anywhere. And that's one advantage of farming in the city is you have such access to tons of people that can just walk up or drive up or get the bus over or whatever. Um, What an advantage there. Right. Exactly. And we, we don't actually do deliveries anymore. I mean, I think I was, I, I usually take out the ranunculus and anemones in the very beginning of the season to like check in with the florist because I like checking in with all of my florists. And I drive around and um, in the beginning of the season. But after that, once, the, you know, I let everybody know we're a lot, you know, up and running. We, we've gone live. Yeah. Uh, they pick up. Oh, that's great. Yeah. Yeah. They, they, the floors all pick up because we, we, and that's another advantage of being right here in the city. In the city. Yeah. So do they have to order through the online shop like the regular customer, like a retail customer does, or that's two separate no. inventories, obviously, I guess. No, 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 no. They, they will, you know, um, they'll email us or we'll, e- we'll email out availability is the way I'm trying to remember how we used to do it. It feels like so long ago, right? <laughs> <laughs> it really does. <laughs> um, we send out an availability once a week and they email us an order. Okay. Okay. And, it, and it's just that simple. Like I said, we're talking about, you know, four floors, you know, not. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I mean, I used to do like 12. And, That's a lot. And it, and, it, and it just whittled down. And I was like, you know, I mean, that, that was the whole thing, you know, so I kept trying to get those people who would buy like 
$50. It's like, why am I stopping there? That's insane, right? And so, so, I mean, I just whittled it down and whittled it down and whittled it down to some really great customers. Do you have a minimum order amount for your florist? Uh, yes, I do. I, I do a, a $150 minimum order. Most of them are well beyond that, though. I mean, okay. Yeah, you know, but that's good. We, we don't. Yeah. If you're a new floor, I get a lot of new floors. I do get. Okay. So I have like three to four major floors, right? But there are a lot of um, designers, new designers that are working yeah. out their home that that are doing weddings i get i get wedding designers um a lot now i mean there, there's quite a few of them that that i didn't count in that right right you know what i mean they're doing small you you may you reminded me of them because you know i have to hey there's a 150 dollar minimum here right you, know, you, you can't pick up 30 dollars Right, uh, exactly. Which sometimes they want to. They just want something for like a boutonniere, and you're like, "Well, no, right, <laughs> can't right. do that." Like, no, we're not stopping everything we're doing right now to to go do that. You yeah. know, to even think about that. Um, so um, it is a hundred fifty dollars minimum. So I have quite a few of those. I I I feel like I'm not giving them the respect they deserve. I want a term for them. Yeah, I I mean I think they're just event designers, and they're sort of. They're not weekly customers. They're the people that come when they need. I mean, I have those here too, where they'll just email and maybe we only hear from them three times a year. And right. it's okay. I just tell them, well, as long as you can meet the minimum, here's the availability list. Um, and so, but there's I, the four floors you're talking about, I guess, are your almost weekly accounts and you're going right. to go there every right. week. Yeah. Exactly. Those are my, those are like hardcore, you know, they twice a week sometimes, you know, they're wow. like, yeah. you know, um, and, and and they take a lot of load, you know? Uh, yeah, yeah, I'm sure. I feel like that's such a um, a piece of the puzzle that can be so helpful for flower farmers once they get established just to really tap into florist sales. But then it always comes down to this, like, kind of, I don't know, tug of war between if you're trying to do design work yourself, but you're also selling to designers, then I've heard some stories about people that get a little bit territorial. I've never had that in my experience. Have you had that there where once you started doing weddings and events, did some people push back? I always, I always have a little ping in my gut, you know? Yeah. Um, but, uh, you know, when, when, okay. So Morgan, I have an employee that's been with me for going on Seven years, six years, right? Wow. It's amazing you've kept him that long. That's a phenomenal. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and and you know, he he's really got a lot of interest. And in order for us to, you know, make it work, continue to make it work, we have to be creative, right? And um, and he's really interested in the wedding, and um, and he does a great job with them. So yeah. um. So he's kind of like taking all, over that wedding piece. And, you know, I'm more like his assistant. And, um, <laughs> so that's great. I mean, you've used weddings then as a way to um, empower and incentivize an employee that you want to keep for a while. That's a that's a cool spin on why, you know, a lot of people go into it with one perspective in terms of getting into floral design for events. But you're using it as a as an incentive, basically, which is awesome. Right, right. So. 
So, you know, when, when I, when I talked to the florist about weddings, what we're doing and, and now it's gotten better in the beginning, I think it was just me that was just uncomfortable and they were fine. Mm-hmm. But, you know, now I'll, you know, call them up and ask a question even, you know, or, you know, or, um, I don't know. I feel more free about it now. I feel like, you know, in the beginning I was like, Hey, I, you know, this is where the money is. Just like, you know, where the money is. I want to earn a living too, you know? Right. <laughs> so, you know, uh, and you know, they get that. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Do and you feel. And really at that time, now it's different, but when we were originally starting to do weddings, it was like weddings in a bucket and it, you know, there, there was a different clientele that was walking into the floor shop um, opposed to walking into urban bud. Yeah. True. True. Now that has changed and we kind of have the same clientele, um, but, um, but I think they're still okay. Yeah. Yeah. Do you feel like you could make urban buds, a financial success without doing any events if you just relied solely on florist sales and farmers markets or is that you need the events to just push you kind of over the edge a little bit wow is, are we including this year okay we're gonna say that this year we're excluding this year was weird don't, don't talk about this year <laughs> you're out of that question yeah yeah talk about historically and i realize your business model might be totally changed after this anyway but i think for new new flower farmers out there who are listening and trying to consider all the different sales channels that everybody talks about i'm always curious to know if people have found sales channels that work you know that are financially viable right weddings definitely are viable sales channel i say that hesitantly just like i said in the beginning of this conversation weddings I put parentheses around, right? I mean, yeah. weddings work for me because I have someone who's patient and and tolerant and wants to do that and is excited to do that. It's a lot of work. So, you know, you got to make the numbers crunch out in order to make a profit at that. I, I know a lot of new farmer floors, really farmers, trying to step over into the wedding side and they're losing money. Because they don't know how to crunch those numbers and they don't know how to, and neither did we in the beginning either. We didn't, you know, we didn't know, okay, hey, you got to consider that, you know, it's going to be four trips or three trips up the elevator (laughs) to the venue. And you need, you know, this cart, you need, you know, we didn't even have a cart. You know, some of our first weddings, we were like, okay, can we borrow your cart to the venue? You know what I mean? (laughs) <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you know, I mean, there's a there's a huge learning curve, and you're gonna lose money in the beginning. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't think there's any way to avoid it, and and you just learn. You're like, okay, we won't do that n- next year. Hey, yeah. let's, let's go to Sam's and buy a cart. What do you think? Right. Um, you know, I mean, you know, you just pick up things. Yeah. Um, but do you think that you could do just farmers markets and florist sales and still be a financially stable farm in the city? Like I, we also have to put you in a context of you're in an urban environment. So overhead's higher. Yeah, we could, we could okay. have, um, because our, our, like I said, our weddings, um, it's just been in the last three years that we, our weddings have like really started to climb. Um, 
because I let the 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 you know I let Morgan you know run with it. Um, um, but yeah, I, I, we have a great farmers market, and our floor sales are really good. Um, we could it would be really difficult because when I think about it, because we actually have a good income on the weddings too that I would hate to lose. Yeah. <laughs> That's the way I feel every year. I'm like, oh, this is a lot of work, but no way could we do it without it. <laughs> right, right. You know, now that I think about it, I mean, I haven't really looked at the number, but I know that it's it's an it it would put a dent in us. Yeah. And right now, I'm really comfortable. You know, on the on the farm. If I want to order some bulbs, I call up and I order the bulb. You know, I mean, right. I always look at price, but I know what I can do. Yeah. Well, the the weddings are just such a high markup. Um, when you do it right, when you get the right. high, the higher pro- profit margin there, the, it, it just cushioned you for all the blows that could come along this way. Like, you know, we had a nest egg when COVID hit because we, we you know, put all our heart and soul into weddings for so many years. So there's right. definitely some advantages to having that high profit margin on the weddings, but then also the stress that comes with it. So <laughs> never, right. never fails, but. So I'm not very patient with the weddings, like I said. So, uh, you know, my deal with weddings is that, that, you know, they give you, you know, all this money up front. And so I come over to the farm on Fridays and then like, Morgan, what are you doing? He's like, Oh yeah, I'm getting ready for this wedding. And I'm like, Oh my God, this is eating up so much of your time. I need you. (laughs) I need you doing something else. You know, is this, worth it and he was like right. Nima, they put you know they gave us you know five thousand dollars two months ago you know that you know and i'm like oh right but I, but, but but you know <laughs> right <laughs> well that's always the struggle with weddings is you've got to fa- well when you're a farmer florist and you're doing weddings yourself in a farmer florist operation be it you or the employee you know there's always the pool of the farm work which is n- incessant and always there and always urgent and then there's also this wedding which is a contractual you know relationship so you right. have to and, you know you that is that it. is that is my that is my bane right there you know that little fine line that is yeah. really tough yeah but it sounds like you got a really nice little system going oh, with Morgan do. where you you can focus on the farm side he focuses on the wedding side and and together right, it all meshes right, which right, is really right. fantastic and he, yeah. he loves the farm nice. side too i mean he's just you know, really yeah. morgan needs to have his own farm you know he, you know <laughs> Shh, don't say that he might listen to this and then decide to leave <laughs> well, you know, we were talking about him buying a, a a flower farmer went out um retired recently um in Illinois, and we were talking about him, you know, going after her farm, but you know, COVID hit and yeah. blah blah blah. So, yeah, yeah. Well, and also, there's so many advantages to partnerships like you guys have, where you're collaborating. It's such a hard road to hoe, you know, to be an independent farmer of any kind I'm sure but you know speaking of flower in the flower world it's just there's so like we talked about there's so many priorities so many things to do and it's so much easier if you can have a really solid partnership with somebody it's very very true yeah so maybe he could buy one of the lots near you and you guys could continue your partnership that way I I just really like to encourage farmer you know young farmers to get out there and you know, put yeah. their big toe in and, and it would really hurt me 
if he left, you know, but right. But man, right. that that you know, it's it's really almost time for him to fly, you know. I mean Right, right. Yeah. And I think that's an important lesson to learn. I know it took me a long time to learn that employees will come and go and that that's a natural process. Right. It's sort of like the the natural process of a of a tree dropping its leaves every fall. You need, you know, yeah, those leaves were like super critical to that tree when they were there, you right. know, in the right stage. But at a certain point, a leaf should drop. Right. And and that's what I you know, I, that was a hard lesson for me to learn. There were many tears in my face right, right, right. <laughs> trying to understand that employees, no matter how good, sometimes it's time for them to, to drop off the trees. So, yeah. 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 So, but, um, well, let me ask you this. What are some advantages and disadvantages of having a flower farm in such an urban environment? Do you have any major um, hurdles that you've had to cross being an urban flower farmer? And we've already talked about how sales are so kind of. Yeah, easier. yeah, there are, you know, I always talk about the advantages of, uh, you know, I'm big on urban farming. So I, I really think there are a ton of advantages, you know, closer to, you know, um, markets, closer to um, diversity closer to community i mean there's community in the country too but it's a different community i mean we could you know just go out and do things um really easily um um cultural community um so th those are the advantages a lot of disadvantages though for me are starting to creep up all the time now um in that i'm landlocked yeah i want more land um so yeah we haven't talked much about our growing stuff but we just acquired uh well we've had this property about a year now it's it's just one of the contiguous lots right it's the latest lot and um we wrote a grant that we just got it approved we just heard that we got it um yesterday and oh wow and Congrats. And it's a and we want to do a kind of a dual purpose um farm garden kind of. Um, um well okay, so this lot, this lot, considerable lot, also has a house on it that we've now renovated it and it's gonna be an Airbnb on a historic flower farm. And wow. and um in the city, right? So we're Wow. I'm kind of my vision is like, you know, urban agrotourism, right? Okay. Yeah. So um in this lot, we're um looking at putting in woodies and plant material that serves as food and cuttables. Like you can cut oh. or eat it. So like blueberry bushes? So like blueberry bushes and brambles and okay. and and um stone fruit, you know, and um you know that we have a whole list of yeah. you know, um but and wanted to see how that, you know, I mean I, I just I'm looking to expand my palette and it's really hard to do in an urban area. Yeah, with such limited space. With such limited space, right, right. So um, 
And also, are your soils okay in this urban? Like, tell me more about your soil because that's such a, you know, I assume on a building lot, exactly. you had a house burned down or something. Exactly. So that soil must be, yeah. So what's that okay. like? What do you do for that? So um, in St. Louis, okay. So on the main part of the farm that we originally bought, that has always been a farm. So th th we didn't have to worry about that. Okay. The lots that we buy, usually there was something there, okay, like a house. And yeah. in St. Louis, what has been the practice is that they dig this big hole. At, well, they take away as much as they can, but then they dig this big hole, crack the, well, they crack the foundation, and then they push the brick and everything <gasps> into that hole, okay? Oh, wow. And then they put, you know, not very much soil on top of that. And that's what you're going to try and grow on. No, that's, that's <laughs> yeah, 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 oh, wow. that's right. That <laughs> is exactly what we grow on in some of these lots. That's our dahlia field right there. Wow. And um, so, well, yeah, what do you yeah, do? <laughs> yeah, okay. So we, what we, I'm sorry, we have to do this. We bring in, so we buy soil. Okay, that makes sense. And we build up. And we just then nurture that soil, like like our dahlia beds are like um, maybe six years old now, you know. In the first two years, it was just like horrible dahlia production, horrible, you know. But we use leaves and and um, compost and lots of compost, and we build up. Are those raised beds like? like wood sized raised no. beds or are they just just soil spread out across it's the like lot, berms kind of. okay gotcha gotcha it's, you know they're like berms with an aisle right can, yeah you, you got what i'm yeah i can picture that yep yep well, and, yeah. and and now we can till if, if i wanted to till i could right we we don't but i mean like right now it's tarped but um right but there's actually soil depth there now. Exactly. Not just you're not just gonna hit bricks and exactly. rock. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. You know. Um, yeah. So you know, there is no lead there. I mean, we do check for you know, we do do testing on for you know hazardous and dangerous things, right? Yeah. So yeah, it, and that is, you know, it's depressing and also like invigorating at the same time. Yeah. Well, that must be a huge expense to bring in all that. It soil. is. is it? it is. Yeah. It is. And, and I'm telling you, we're big grant writers here. <laughs> I know you are. You get, the, which is phenomenal. I mean, I think that's something a lot of farmers should look into. I mean, we're, we're big grant writers because, you know, we, we, we really couldn't afford the amount of soil we need to bring in, you know, um, didn't you just bring in soil to to the glass house? Was that what I remember seeing? You did, did. some sort of soil where you had to bring we it in. Did. To we, the did. We, we, we did bring in soil. We, um, we worked those beds. Um, those beds, the, the soil was, yes, we did. We bought in. The soil was horrible. Um, it had coal that we've been digging out over, oh my over goodness. the years because, you know, in the day they had coal heating. Right. They, yeah. They, and they would, I don't, I don't know. They buried this coal in the greenhouse floor. I don't know. 
No, but there was coal <laughs> everywhere. And we just, years of digging it up, digging it up, digging it up. And, and it just kept coming up and it just kept coming. And we like, okay. So we built raised beds, actually box beds in, okay. in the glass house. Um, yeah. And it, yeah, mm-hmm. we move a lot of soil around. Yeah. That's amazing. Do you find that the soil you bring in is healthy or is it, um, you have to really work with it yeah, still? You know, so- to bring soil is not meant to move around. You know, yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah. it's not meant to move like that. So once it moves, then you have to work with it for like three years, three, you know, yeah. before you really get to see um, good, anything good come out of it, you know, I mean, really good come out of it. So, so do you do anything in particular to try to bring back the life in the soil? Are you doing cover crops or we you do. said leaves are a big thing? And okay. we, do, we do use cover crops and that's hard too um, in an urban farm. Yeah, you don't have much space. You don't have much space. So you have to be committed to cover cropping. You have to be committed to saying, okay, I'm not going to make X amount of dollars out of these three to four beds right now. This, you know. Yeah. This season, I'm going to use these three and four, three to four beds to improve them. We've got some, you know, um, problems in them, like you know, uh, and, and we're just going to cover crop them. And we, we cover, and we don't use. A, you know, I'd be interested to really have a talk with you about this about what cover crops you use because um, I'm really nervous about cover crops. I don't. I don't yeah. want anything invasive that's going to be a problem for me later, right? But, yeah, yeah. No, definitely. So, yeah, I mean, have you been, you like, we do a lot of winter rye in the winter here, yeah. which has been really helpful. That brings up the, the soil life so fast. I'm, like, in awe of winter rye and how fast it brings um, just all the life back to soil really quickly. Right. Winter rye, oats and peas. Yeah, and, yeah. Uh, the challenge is like getting them to die then though. Is that what you're having? Like I have a, I still am trying to get the right system for, ter- for terminating cover crops in such a small space. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Cause some, some here it won't get cold enough sometimes so it doesn't die. Oh, wow. Okay. I didn't think about that for you. You don't even have a killing, wow. a killing yeah. winter. Yeah. We, two years ago, our peas didn't die. It was like a weed. Okay. Oh no. You know, um, so, and then we use buckwheat, you know, in the, you know, summer. Yeah. yeah, in the summer. Yeah. Well, I found for my farm, I use a push mower, a mulching push mower. And that is just, that's my go-to tool for terminating cover crops. And I find if I, if I mow them down um, before they set seed, then I generally haven't had anything aggressive. Though the rye, if you, the rye, I kind of have to do one or two, you know, I, definitely have to do it once and then I have to maybe do it another time before it kind of gives up the ghost a little bit. But um, yeah, I think for me, the biggest challenge with cover crops has been timing, you know, like I can mow them down, but then they need to be dead before we really plant into them. Um, And that's where I'm still learning how to use tarps really, really effectively. (laughs) Me too. too. We, um, well, tarps and clear plastic, you know, it's like when you use a tarp and when you use clear plastic, yeah. You know, we're, we're, this is probably about, this is our third year trying okay. to look at a no-till system and, um, yeah. and we're babes in the woods, man. You know I mean? 
Yeah. Yeah. I feel the same way. I feel pretty, pretty new to it too. And that's why I'm doing a podcast about it. You're really brave. I really respect you, you know, because you're going to learn so much more. I mean, right. Well, I figure if I've got a lot of questions, a lot of p- other people probably have a lot of questions. So we'll just record my question. Right. I, <laughs> so I, I know I have a lot of questions, especially for yeah. urban flower farmer, because the other thing is, um, like I said, we're, we're low on space, but the other thing is, yeah. is that our crops go so long. We can let them go so long in the fall that it's hard to then, you know, get the cover crop yeah, in. The cover yeah. crop and it's like, okay, we really want a cover crop. We got to take out this philosophy. Yeah. Like, wait, that's yeah. money. Wait, wait. In a- right. <laughs> Why get rid of it? Well, I do have to say that one thing that I, um, I don't know, hundred percent myself, but this is one of the things we can just, you know, spitball it, um, is that I was listening to the, the, the no-till growers podcast, the main uh-huh. one, and I forget who was being interviewed. I should go back and find out. I'll, I'll get um, a link to it. But it, somebody said like, well, all crops are essentially cover crops in that, right. you know, the goal is just to have living roots in the soil that are feeding all the soil life. And then ultimately, if you're willing to chop down whatever it is and just kind of leave the the, the plant matter uh-huh. there to debris, you know, to just decompose, then it's all a celosia could be a cover crop essentially. You know, it's like doing all the same thing. So that's where I've and kind of would, and then you would start that. Do you think that celosia then would like German, like you'd have like this. Well, yeah, I do think maybe Celosia is a bad example okay, in okay, that, okay. you know, it's so quick to pop right back up. But I'm thinking more like we did this with, um, what did we do this with over the winter? Oh, we did do amaranth, which is probably a bad idea. But, um, <laughs> but I was trying to think, you know, do some over the summer and the winter where I just, I did keep planting um, that. I never um, like rotated it out. Right. But then I treated the residue of the cash crop as as I would have treated a cover crop. And as a result, I think we're building organic matter into the soil, um, uh, you know, the same way. And one thing we definitely do is we never remove roots anymore. That's one thing that I changed when I went no-till is we don't yank plants out. Even if we remove the top of the plant, we always leave the root system in the ground. I got that from you. So that- we, we, we do the same thing now. And, and, and I, I heard you say that, uh, you know, some time ago. And I was like, oh, that's brilliant. Because yeah, because it feeds everything absolutely. down there. Absolutely. That's food. That's just you know, going to break up that soil more and everything else, everything else. Yeah. And we found that if we plant a transplant right away into that, say, you know, we cut, say we're like clearing a bed of zinnias Uh um, and we've got a succession of zinnias in trays, you know, transplant trays. um, We will cut the old zinnias in the bed, cut them down to the ground with just like a little tiny stub left, but leave the root system in the ground, then go in and plant our new baby zinnias right in there. And bam, they come up so fast. They're so happy. And the reason for that is that those old roots still had that community of soil life with them. So they act as like a little nursery crib for that new baby transplant. And so it's like they got all the nannies they need in the world, <laughs> you know, to help keep them fed. That's such and a so- great explanation of that. That is so perfect. That is so true. Yeah. Yeah. 
And it's amazing how healthy those plants are. And we used to just rip those, right. you know, rip those zinnias out by the roots. And then the soil was disturbed and all that good nanny power, so to speak, in that root system was put on the compost pile, which, you know, it's still fine. It's on the compost pile. It still does something, but it's not nearly as powerful and effective as it is if you leave it in the ground and, and it can, you know, nurture the next, the next generation, so to speak. So that's been huge for us. That, that made a, a big difference at this farm. So, yeah. Yeah, that's great. That's so cool. Yeah. Do you do um, uh, like a deep layer of compost or anything on your beds? Do you do anything else that's sort of like we the do. traditional? We do, yeah. um, we do the cover cropping. We do a lot of compost, a lot, a okay. lot of compost. Sharping is good here too. Um, and we use billboards. We give billboards. Um, we nice. have a company that, you know, uh, we made an agreement with them. They really, they checked us out. They really liked our mission and our website. And they, um, we, we just made an agreement with them that we'd keep the advertisement side down. Well, who cares, <laughs> right? I, that's not a problem for me. Yeah, I know. Like, what are you going to do? But get money from a McDonald's billboard? Right, right, right. <laughs> Laying on, you know, this lot in the city. Um, right. So um, that's great. Um, you know, the thing is, um, another disadvantage of uh, urban farming is we don't compost. And that is disturbing to me. That is so disturbing to me. But we don't really have... I feel like we need a lot of space to do it. Okay. Um, yeah. I would love all of our green cuttings. You know, I mean, you know, when we're, when we're processing flowers, there's all of this, you know, green material, right. Um, that we just give back to the city and um, we, which is okay too, because then it gets, goes to the compost facility and, but, you know, I would like my own compost. Um, do yeah. my own, And that's, that's really, really difficult. And, and we also choose not to do it because we are so urban. Like I said, we have neighbors and I just feel uncomfortable. You know, even if it didn't come from us, the first rat or a road, yeah. yeah. you know, it would come from our compost pile. Right. I mean, so, right. um, yep. you know, it, neighborhood relations is very, very community relations is really, really, really important here. Yeah, I hear you on that. I've definitely lived in fear of somebody claiming that my compost pile <laughs> is, is rat, you okay. know, um, habitat or whatever. It's yeah. probably not true, but, you know. Right, right. Yeah, exactly. Well, it's, yeah, it's definitely not true because there, it's just like, you know, stems of right. things. It's not like there's any actual food right. in it, but that's all you need is somebody just taking up that banner and um, next thing you know, you've got uh, all sorts of city I mean, inspectors right. on your you tail. Can, you can yeah. One person, you know, and, and then you got a problem. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Hey, can I ask you a question about water in the city? That's an interesting, like, yeah, uh, you know, yeah. Do you, are you on city water? We are on city water. So does that a cost a lot and B are there things in the water that are causing problems for your flowers? Um, you know, at one point we thought it was, we had the water tested and it was fine. St. Louis has great water. You know why? Oh, okay. You know why? No, I don't know why, but that, uh, that's fascinating. Yeah, it, it really is fascinating. So back in the day, many, many moons ago, when the Anheuser-Busch family 
came to St. Louis. Yeah. They needed to make great beer. Oh. Right? So they created the entire water system for the city of St. Louis. Wow. <laughs> right. For to make great beer. <laughs> That's fantastic. Which, it, it, I don't know if I can say that beer sucks. But, you know, it's St. Louis beer, right. so it doesn't suck because it's, hey, St. Louis proud, but... Uh, Right. Yeah, you know, exactly. You know, hey, you know, the water's good in it. Whether the water's it's great or not, it. not the point. The water's, <laughs> the water's great, good. Right? Wow. So you don't have high chlorine or high um, salt or anything. Right. Okay. Okay. Well, that's such a boon. The chlorine is there, but not the salt. I mean, okay. you know. Yeah, yeah. But do you have, did you have to set up like a separate meter or anything? Or you just run hoses like out of a spigot somewhere in the in the house um no no we have meters um the we we're on commercial water rates um, okay okay um but um you know that's on that's on the farm lot and then we have these houses a lot we have a couple different house lots where you know that's on the house meters and that is just out of the house which you don't really it's not that much so, and then for irrigation, when you have all these lots that are contiguous, but also I assume still kind of broken up, how are you doing irrigation? Do you just have to run a separate system for each lot right. or how does that work? They're all separate okay. systems. Um, you know, we, we do drip irrigation. So we're running, you know, the, the main farm, you know, that's all on one system and that, that covers all the tunnels that covers the fields over there. Um, it covers you know, the tunnel, all the tunnels, the fields that are there. And then we have three, the, the other lots are, all have individual irrigation. And have you ever used any overhead watering? Or I know that's like a no-no in the... No, um, <laughs> we, we use only overhead watering um, the first frost. Uh, yeah, to keep the frost to off. To keep the frost off for the dahlia. Okay. Um, but we okay. don't really do any overhead watering. Okay. Yeah. So have there been any, so as you as you move further into the no-till system or low-till um, system, have there been any major lessons that you've learned that have created, you know, a problem or a big success, any big fails or big successes um, with no-till? Yeah, we've had some, some big failures. <laughs> Yeah, well, tell us all about it. <laughs> <laughs> I I, I want to learn from everybody else. Well, you know, I, I didn't know that. Okay, there's a step. So, okay, we we took this bed. Okay, it had larkspur and um and um um what's the Queen Anne's lace one? The uh, oh, Dockus. Yeah, yeah. Had, um, and then the little. Uh, I don't know why I'm drawing blank right now. Little white flower. Uh, it, 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 it had agrostema, uh, <laughs> nigella. Uh, no, um, 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 it'll come to me, but you, know, you can blame it on COVID. COVID brain is a real it had, thing. It had, yeah, it is. Um, it had nigella and all, all the stuff that just like ambassador buttons, all this stuff that just comes back, you know. I mean, yeah, that yeah. just or lion that's that was the other one. Oh, my God. oh right, yeah, yeah. But, um, yep. So I was like, okay, we're gonna the, the bed was done. We're gonna leave the stubble in there. Um, we overseeded with the uh, um, um, the cover crop, the summer cover crop, buckwheat, 
and mm, and yep. then we crimped it down, you know, um, and we pulled the tarp over it. Okay. Okay. Well, I was like, yeah. okay, cool. We're set. Good to go. Wow. Really great. And then yeah. we, um, the fall came, we pulled that tarp off, added some, well, we put the compost on before we put the tarp on. And then um, pulled the tarp off and it looked beautiful, clean, great. Yeah. You know, lots of worms, blah, blah, blah. And then it was like, okay, I'm going to sow my fall crops into this. Yeah. All the yeah. fall crops in there. And man, you just, I mean, everything came up. I mean, it looks like a wildflower. <laughs> me- it looked like a wildflower metal, right? It was like, okay. Oh, wow. <laughs> so really, I probably should have, um, I don't know, like. Yeah, I wonder what the alternative is, though. Like, what's going to stop them from coming but up? I, I think that, uh, you know, and I don't know if this is a no-till practice or not, but I think that yeah. you take off that tarp, you let that soil sit for two weeks, you let those weeds germinate, right? And you come in there with a flame. Oh, yeah, just flame weed it then. Okay, flame yeah, yeah, it, yeah, that would work. Flame weed it and then seed it. Okay. That's a good point. So maybe sometimes these these beds where there's a lot of self-sowers, which in the flower world, there are so many self-sowers. I don't think vegetable people have to worry right. about this so much right. because they're not growing the thing that produces seeds. So, um, but yeah, in the flower farming world, self-sowers are a real problem. So yeah, I think flame weeding might be a good addition. I never thought about that. And I think um, I might have to go buy a flame weeder now. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's, <laughs> yeah. that's where we're at with it. You know, it's like, okay. Okay, okay. Um, and you were, I'm sorry, but I'm, I'm jumping around here, but you were asking me if we, what other practices we use. We use, we're about yeah. to use a lot of cardboard because okay. we're about to, we have this new lot of thing that's grass right now. And we're, we're okay. going to eradicate that grass by layering cardboard, um, compost, mulch, tarp. Okay. That sounds great. Um, and, and that's what we're looking at. Is it, is it, um, was it lawn essentially like lawn grass or was it kind of a weedy crazy lot and you might have some like nutso weeds in there somewhere? Well, no, there's, there is some, it, it was grass um, that, you know, we do have a euonymus problem that we're going to eradicate that, dig that out of there. You know, I, I tell you one of our, our really bad weed problem, not in this lot, but just generally on the farm. And I, you know, I ask everybody about it and, and, um, because I'm really looking for a solution, and so is everybody else. But it's bind weed. I mean, yeah, <laughs> that's the real hang-up. I think so much of the time is bind weed. Now I've gotten rid of bind weed in one area on the farm by tarping it for yeah. a year and a half. That's a long time, though. To so we, I've done that too, in, in the, what I call my back forty here but that was a long time to take that space out of production did you find that oh yeah, yeah. it was a long long time so, you know but it worked yeah yeah um, the other thing you know we've been thinking about I, you know i lay in bed and fantasize you know <laughs> but, you know I, I like to have a lot of farmer friends and you know i'm like i, I want to you know start a rent a pig program or you know oh yeah that would be amazing right i mean um, <laughs> right because i don't really want to own a pig 
Right. It'd be great for August, though. I mean, you would love that. Oh, he would love that. Yeah, and and I, at one point, I looked at the the pot bellied pigs root. You know, I don't know. Yeah, I think they do. I think they do. They also get big, though, so be forewarned. Yeah, right, right, right. <laughs> I think that's a great idea, though. I think we could, you know, we could just pass a pig around, and nobody would really have to take care of it, you know, other than to let it root around. But I even went so far to check out if you could have a pig in the city, and and, and you can. I mean, but um. It has to have a certain lot amount, you know? I mean, uh, you have to own so many lots. And it's like, oh, well, we right. got that covered, you know? I mean. Right, right. Yeah, yeah. But then you couldn't maybe farm them out if if, if other people just had small spaces. Right. But we yeah. a terrible city problem. I don't know if it's in the country, but it, it's really bad. Oh, yeah. It's bad here, too. And I, I, you're right. I hear a lot of urban farmers who have issues with bindweed. Definitely. I'm going to try to... Um, I don't know if it's going to work, but I recently bought a book uh, through Acres USA. I think it's called When Weeds Talk. I don't actually have it right in front of me, so but um, I can include a link in the show notes. But it it is like it offers a chart that tells you like if you have say bindweed. I don't know. I didn't look up bindweed yet, but <laughs> if you have bindweed, that means your soil has like really low calcium and really right. high magnesium or something. And so then in theory, you can add the amendments that will counteract what that um, weed is looking for. So I'm going to try um, kind of dialing in because I have a certain, you know, the bindweed, then I have a real issue with henbit in the wintertime, which is a winter uh -huh. weed. Um, and we have a lot of crabgrass in the summer. So those are like my three biggies. And I'm, I want to try and change the soil mineral structure in hopes that that will alleviate the, the weed problem. But that's, that's, a, that's a, 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 an experiment at the moment. You know, I've heard of this before, too. And you're, you're going to put the book in the show notes? Yeah, I'll put the book in the show yeah. notes. I'm pretty sure it's called When Weeds Talk, um, but I'll put the link in there so everybody can grab yeah. it and look at it. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. It's, I think it's a fairly, I don't want to call it an old school book, but it's not like a fancy book at all. It's not like one of the new hip, you know, um, which are, there are many really great new books out there right now. But this is like kind of like an older, you know, written a long time ago by an older farmer. Um, and I'm, yeah, I'm really curious about it. I think it's probably got a lot of wisdom in it. So, so we'll see. But if I find a strategy for bindweed, I will definitely share it with you. <laughs> also, um... I think Colorado is doing a lot of experiment with this. There's a beneficial mite. Oh. That um, they're experimenting with in Colorado. I have to ask Miranda. Miranda actually got a license. You have to be licensed to um, bring it into your state. And the, really? And the Missouri Botanical Gardens was doing work with it. And we were trying to get a license for it. And Miranda was in that process. I've got to check back in with her about it. Um, but there's a mite running around that people, really? that people are experimenting with. Yes. That university. That, that will attack weeds, like bindweed it, or something? Like it'll, it's, it'll... I think it's actually called the bindweed mite. Oh, I am looking that up today. Yeah, look that up. <laughs> um, um, Colorado's doing some work with it, I know. Wow. That is, that's fascinating. See, that's the kind of stuff that I, I love learning. And, and then I want to go down a rabbit hole and, and experiment with it and, and figure out, you know, how that works. Because I think so often one of the things that 
is maybe an underlying premise of no-till farming, whether you buy into to, to whole, whole hog no-till or not. But the idea is to work with nature instead of against it. So it, this is such a classic example of, apparently there's a mite out in the world there that will tackle a, a serious weed issue. So instead of using a horrible um, pest or um, herbicide, right. What if we just get the mite? You know, well, that would be a fantastic way of solving that idea. So, yeah, I love that. I love hearing about that. Uh, you know, there's 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 something about this mite. I mean, I remember us talking a lot about it. It, it was something about it needed high humidity. It needed something. I, I really don't okay. remember, but you'll find it. It's called the mite. Yeah, I'll yeah, look it up. Find it. Uh, yeah, I'll put it. I'll put it in the show notes. So. Uh, <laughs> And uh, yeah, that's really pretty interesting. So that's awesome. Yeah. Well, I think we'll we'll wrap it up now. But I'm so grateful for all the time and knowledge that you gave us here today. And I just love sort of talking it out and hearing, you know, different challenges and questions and everything like that. So thank you, Mima, for that. I I just I I could keep going on and on, but <laughs> just to wrap it up. This is a fabulous conversation. I, I just really love it and you know, I can't wait to listen to the to the podcast and um the other people's podcasts because you know, the more we get out there, especially with up around flowers, like I said in the beginning, it's just like it's so it's really it's it's we're all farmers, but you know, our crops are really radically different. Yeah, um, they really are. And um, so it, not all, not everything applies and we need, we, we, I really appreciate you for, you know, taking the initiative and getting this going and. Uh, oh, well, thanks. Yeah. yeah. Well, I've, I've learned, I've learned so much from so many people in the industry. I, 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 I could go, you know, read a long list of names for probably 15 minutes long of all the people that um, have shared their knowledge with me over the years. And I'm just excited to be able to pay it forward a little bit. So thank you for all that you know, because you have definitely been an industry leader for flower farming. And um, yeah, I can't wait to uh, keep going on this journey. So thank you for your time. I really appreciate it. Today's episode of No-Till Flowers was produced by Ginny Love of Love and Fresh Flowers with support from No-Till Growers. Special thank you to Nikolai Fox for the theme music, at Nikolai Fox on Instagram. Thank you to the Patreon supporters at patreon.com slash no-till growers for making this show possible. Please subscribe to this podcast wherever you are getting it and leave a review. That always helps us out. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you in the next episode of No-Till Flowers.